Hello from Valley Baptist Church in Eureka, Montana. Valley Baptist Church is an independent Baptist church serving the greater Eureka, Montana area. Pastor Matt Schrepfer is the pastor. His wife, Juanetta, serves along his side. Open your songbooks to number 23. We'll sing Worthy of Worship. And Joshua, please lead us as we sing Worthy of Worship.
and he is, isn't he? Yeah. Father God, I thank you for this hour together. Thank you that you are hearts and minds as we sing, as we pray, as we open the scriptures together and fellowship together. May every act, every thought, every action even be that which is honoring to you. You deserve all our worship and honor and praise. Father God, I ask you that you would care for the needs of those who are traveling like Daryl and Judy and the Pulliams and, of course, the physical needs of some who aren't with us like Nanette. Father God, I ask for your continued healing for her that this hip replacement would be that which uh, helps her for the rest of her life and is good and uh, that she will... Once she gets over the pain and recovery, there won't be pain for her. We ask you for that, but also that there would be no complications along the way. And Father, thank you for Max's uh, recent surgery also and the way that has gone. And I do ask you that he would fully recover as well. Thank you again for this hour together. I ask that you would be the one who blesses, but also the one who is worshipped in every way. You deserve that, Father God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Like Jesus, by his presence all divine, true and tender, pure and precious, oh, how blessed to call him mine. All that thrills my soul is Jesus, he is more than life to me. of ten thousand in my blessed Lord I see love of Christ so freely given grace of God beyond decree mercy higher than the heaven deeper than the deepest sea All in all to 
that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me. And the fairest of ten thousand in my blessed Lord I see. I'd like to ask everyone to stand for our scripture reading and take your Bible. Open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and follow along as Tom reads 9 through 15. Good morning, everybody. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For the foundation can no man lay that is laid with our with Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, for every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he has built upon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. Amen. You may be seated as we sing our next song, Children's Churches Dismissed. Open your songbooks to 32, Crown Him with Many Crowns. Eternal life to 
am the Lord of heaven, one with the Father known, one with the Spirit through Him given from His eternal throne. To Thee be endless praise, for Thou for us hast died. deserves to be crowned and magnified. Well, good morning everyone. I trust that God has blessed through the week past and will in the week ahead. Let's dive into the Bible together and open them to James chapter 1. Open your Bibles to James chapter 1. I'll start at verse 9 and go through 15, and then we'll pray together. James 1, verse 9. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass shall he pass away. I'm sorry, grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a a burning heat, but it, it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your grace to us, that you have provided for us the solution to our sin in the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. When he shed his blood there, it was as a substitute for us and that through his shed blood and our faith and your grace, you've made it possible for us to have our sins forgiven and that we may enjoy eternal life. Father, I ask you that we'd never take it for granted while we are in this life. Heavenly Father, I ask you that we would live in such a way that our works in this world are as gold and silver and precious stones as Tom just read, that which will stand the test of time, that we would be busy about the things that are eternal, of eternal value, and not so wrapped up in that which is just temporary. Father God, I ask you that you would be the one who is honored and glorified in this hour ahead as we look into, or in these minutes ahead as we look into this portion of Scripture. I pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, we've talked a little bit about rewards. We've sung about crowning him with many crowns. We've heard Tom read for us 1 Corinthians chapter 3, a portion of it. And in verse 12 of our text, 
it speaks very much of receiving the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. If you love him and know him, you can receive that crown and honor him with it. Rewards. It's a universal thing. People like to be recognized for what they do. All of us like to be recognized for what we do. At our county fair a month and a half ago, there were lots of colorful ribbons and blue ones and yellow ones, blue and white ones and purple and white ones. I don't know if you noticed that. Grand champions and reserve champions and best of show for showmanship. There were a lot of rewards posted in various places around the fairgrounds. In addition to special ribbons, there are other awards. Silver platters, shiny trophies of almost all sizes and shapes, some with animals on them, some with stars on them, or monster trucks on them. There are figures of athletes on them, and airplanes, and some have music notes, or an instrument on the top of the trophy, or dogs, or horses, or motorcycles, or bulls, (laughs) and all kinds of things. There are fancy certificates and special edition cars like the Mary Kay pink Cadillac. You know, how many of you have seen one of those? Yeah, several of us have seen those. There are huge checks that take two people to hold and then golden Kirby vacuums. I know a fellow who won three golden Kirby vacuums for being the top salesman in the world three times. Some trophies and awards are rare. Oh, by the way, I actually handled those. He had them in storage here in Eureka for a while. I helped him with them. Anyway, some trophies and awards are rare and very prestigious, and some are of little fanfare. Like back in 1974, I won the state competition in VICA. Does anyone know what VICA stands for? Vocational Industrial Clubs of America in their carpentry competition. Does anybody know about that? No. Big deal. My brother, in 1980, won the tractor pull in Kalispell with the 85-horse Massey. And after about a year, he threw the trophy in the dump because he was the only entry in the 85-horse class. (laughs) Yeah, some of our trophies are of little fanfare, and some are kept and framed and hung on the wall, And there are Olympic medals also that are very sought after. There are some cups and trophies and belts and awards and passed on to the next individual on the team who wins. And, of course, there's boxing. And I think of Lynn and Rodeo. You know, the boxers get special belts. And tennis, there's that prestigious Davis Cup. And in acting, there's the Golden Globe Award. And in golf, there's the British Open Cup and the U.S. Open or the Masters PGA Trophy. In journalism, there's the famous Pulitzer Prize. Music with the Grammy Awards, and that doesn't mean it's named after Grandma. It's from the phonograph called a gramophone. Anyway, there are movie productions, the Academy Awards, and baseball, the Cy Young Award, and the Baseball Hall of Fame, and hockey, the Stanley Cup, uh, 
and the Super Bowl of hockey, if you will. Football, the Heisman Trophy, and the Vince Lombardi Trophy, and the Super Bowl Trophy, and then there's NASCAR, right, Vinny? Yeah, yeah there are NASCAR trophies, and Richard Petty Trophy. Yeah, so anyway, there's a lot of that stuff out there. There are Amateur Athletic Union of the United States Awards, like the James E. Sullivan Memorial Award. Each year it's given to, quote, the amateur athlete who, by performance, example, and good influence, did the most to advance the cause of good sportsmanship during the year. That's a pretty good one. Many of these awards and rewards are given to those who are exceptional athletes or writers or musicians or drivers or even actors. There are a few things that they have in common. Of course, they must be actively involved in their field. If it is auto racing, you better know how to drive a car. <laughs> My Vika medal won't do me any good there. Awards and rewards must be wished for or desired. I'm getting to our passage, by the way. With lack of interest and desire, none of us will achieve. I hope that you understood, verse 12, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Awards or rewards must be wished for and worked for. They must be earned. It takes years of practice, day in and day out. You must be able to qualify you must be able to compete, and that takes a lot of work. <clears throat> they must be waited for. It takes patience and perseverance. I doubt that Lynn, I don't know, I've never asked him, did you win your first rodeo? Did you win a saddle bronc or bear back? I'm not sure, your first time. No, it takes patience and work, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It takes time. Richard Petty didn't win every race. He lost many. And after years of perseverance, he finally won a NASCAR race. Now, no one can ever work their way to heaven, and the Bible never teaches that. Titus 3, 5 says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I'm thankful that it is not something that we can work for to gain our eternal life, but we can work for that which would bring honor to the Lord as far as crowns. Yes, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 say, For by works, I'm sorry, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Remember, this book or epistle in our Bible was written to those who were already saved. James wrote, My brethren, in verse 2, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. And in verse 9, it talks of our brother. Let the brother of low degree rejoice. These are believers 
and verse 16 likewise. James wrote about a reward called the crown of life in verse 12. It is for those who love the Lord and endure or patiently persevere temptations, trials, and testing in this life for Christ's sake. I don't know what temptation or trial or testing you may be facing right now, but if you patiently persevere, if you endure that for Christ's sake because you love him, there is a reward for that. It's called the crown of life. The rewards in this passage are eternal and therefore of far greater value than the awards of this world. Now, there will be numerous rewards given to Bible-believing Christians in the future. We don't focus on that so much, but we focus on the desire to gain them for Christ's honor and Christ's glory. For example, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 8 through 10, we read, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body, so it will be given after this life, not during this life, and to be present with the Lord. I'm thankful for that. Once I leave this aching body, I'll be present with the Lord. And there may be crowns given to each of us when we're in his presence. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. He wants us to work out our salvation in this life. Not work for it, but to work it out day by day in our lives. Second Corinthians 5, 8 and 9, I just read verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Don't, worry, don't fear that. That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. They'll be revealed in a time called the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ that judgment seat is one Greek word, bema. And it's like in the first century AD, during the Greek and the Roman games, there were contestants that would stand before the judgment seat, the bema seat, where the magistrate would give out garlands or crowns to those contestants who excelled. There will be, for us, recognition for those who patiently persevere and served Christ out of love for him in this life. There will be rewards. There will be crowns given to those who gave their all for Christ. One of them is called the incorruptible crown out of 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25. It would be the victor's garland. Another one, there will be crowns given to those who served Christ faithfully as pastors or shepherds called a crown of glory according to 1 Peter 5 verses 2 through 4. There will be crowns given to those who have served Christ faithfully by being witnesses to the lost of salvation in Christ. We might call them faithful soul winners. will receive a crown of rejoicing and I think that rejoicing has to do with those souls who trust Christ as Savior during this life. They'll rejoice uh, not just in the present, but in the future as well. And that crown is called a crown of rejoicing in 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 19 and 20. 
And it's likely a reference to a rejoicing over those who did place saving faith in Christ. And there will be crowns given to those who are and have been loving and lovingly and longing for Christ coming at his appearing called a crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy 4 verse 8. If you are longing for and looking forward to Christ coming again and sharing that with other people with anticipation and hope, he, he tells us there will be a crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy verses four, or chapter 4 verse 8. And there will be crowns given to those who endure temptation because they love Christ in our text, James 1.12. It's called a crown of life. This crown or reward is also mentioned in Revelation 2, verse 10, and it includes those who face persecution as Christians and even some who die for their faith in Christ as martyrs. I'm going to read that in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. You can go there with me. <clears throat> Revelation 2, verse 10, it's to the church in Smyrna, where we read, For none of these things which thou shalt suffer, behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. That is the crown that is mentioned here in James 1 verse 12 also. In James 1, the believers that James called brethren were facing divers or various or a variety of issues and testings and temptations and adversity as we just read in James 1, 2. Yet they were to count it all joy in Christ at the same time because we learned that God intends to, for trials to make us better, not bitter. God wants to make us better through trials. Trials serve to mold us into what God wants us to be. And those who do so faithfully are promised a, a reward for that. A couple of the trials that some of them faced back in James' day, including his martyrdom eventually, are found in verses 9 through 11, which I just read a few moments ago. So James connects verses 2 and 9. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. Connect that to verse 9. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. So count it joy and rejoice. The meaning of low degree is tapanos in Greek, and it means to cast down. Someone who is cast down. These folks were cast down by a couple of things. They had to move from place to place because of religious persecution and pressure and political and social and economic pressures they faced, and, and they had to move a lot. Some of you have moved a lot. And does that cause stress in your life? Oh, yes, it does. Some people, some sociologists have studied that it's one of the top three forms of stress in a person's life is a move. The context especially indicates that that also meant their poverty because they moved a lot. Does moving cost you much? I guess sometimes 
companies pay thirty to forty thousand dollars for a move for an employee. Yes, it's expensive. If you do it on your own, like the Janungs did just a year ago or less, it's expensive. And the context especially indicates their poverty because of the following comparison in verse 10, but the rich. So there's a comparison between verse 9 and the rich in verse 10. Because of their economic poverty and their moving about in different societies, they were looked down upon. They were cast down. That's the meaning of the word. They were low in society as opposed to high in society. Now, how could they rejoice in that? They were downtrodden, they were poor, they were despised and oppressed by others. And that doesn't sound like a situation that calls for rejoicing to me. But it is part of our text. Now, there is a heretical theology out there in our day and age based on this very thing. Those who hold to liberation theology, it's called, claim that the poor and oppressed are who Jesus came to set free. He died for them, the poor and oppressed. Those who are poor in this life, that sin is. Man's, they say sin is. Man's inhumanity to man. That's what they say sin is. They claim that it is their right and the church's responsibility to do whatever it takes to raise up the underprivileged, the poor, and the minorities, including reparations, if you will. You see that on the political scene in our day and age with the critical race theory. And they have the right to do violent acts. Taking from the rich and giving to the poor, we might call liberation theology Robin Hood theology. Really, that's the idea of it all. Political activism and overthrow is part of liberation theology. It has been popular in Latin America for decades, especially among the Catholics and among the, now among many in the United States of America and even the feminist movement. It is Marxism at the core, and it is the teaching of Reverend Jeremiah Wright. You've heard of him, right? Who is wrong, not right, and seems to be held by President Obama in high esteem. It seems that Jesus addressed this false, ta- this false thinking and teaching long ago. John 12, starting at verse 3, then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then said one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which would betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? And he said, not that he cared for the poor, or this he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare that what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my bearing hath she kept this. For the poor 
always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Which brings us to principle number one, if you want to fill out on the back of your bulletins. Principle number one, poverty and little recognition is not necessarily bad. Poverty and little recognition is not necessarily bad. Often, the clutter and complications of taking care of wealth and riches and material things distract people from their real needs. These folks, though poor, had taken care of their real and primary need. They had accepted Christ as Savior, verse 9, and received the eternal benefits of that relationship. They would be exalted. That's what it says, verse 9, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is or will be exalted. Praise the Lord. They had heaven as home someday, a dwelling place, a mansion in the Father's house. We have a mansion just over the hilltop, right? And they looked forward to that as a child of God. And they were an heir of God's riches and a joint heir with Christ, and they will throughout eternity be exalted. Look at chapter 2, verse 5. James 2, 5. Hearken, my beloved brethren. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? What a blessed truth, and what a day that will be. Poverty and little recognition, though a trial in this life, and that's true, can and should help make us better and not bitter and help us mature in our faith and not lose faith, as sadly some let trials do. Remember that James said in his Sermon on the Mount, I said James, I meant Jesus. Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, verse 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and dust, moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Principle number two, come from verses 10 and 11. Riches and fame is not necessarily good. It's not necessarily good. It will not last. Verse 10 starts off with a phrase that sounds a bit strange to our ears. But the rich in that he is made low. Hmm. Some might think that this is saying that the poor should rejoice when a rich man loses his wealth and becomes a pauper. That's not what it's saying. That would be sin. Or that the rich person will suffer in the lake of fire someday in that he is made low. Both suggestions could not be more wrong. The person, a brother in Christ, who has been rich and yet suffers the loss of his wealth in this world, is also to rejoice in that circumstance just as much as the brother in verse 9. 
Now that might be a hard thing to do. But remember, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, verse 2. To lose one's wealth may be a hard thing, but still, God wants us to rejoice. Philippians 4, verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. And the Apostle Paul knew how and whether in abundance or poverty to survive this. Philippians 4.11 says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me, says verse 13. Though God sometimes blesses a person with wealth, and some have used riches for God's glory, and they have, and the spread of the gospel. By the way, if the Lord blesses you in that way, share a portion with Valley Baptist Church. But never let riches or fame or the lack thereof be your source of joy. Christ must be your source of joy. And in that, he'll give you a crown of life. Because, by the way, riches will not last. The rest of verses 10 and 11 are a simile. Riches are like the flowers in the field. And a few years ago, our granddaughters were sad because the flowers were dying. Well, I noticed in Juanetta's flower garden, there are a few still looking good. I noticed her marigolds are looking really good, but I don't know what that'll be like in a day or two. We don't know, do we? Naturally, they will be losing all of that glory. Yes, they have been beautiful and gracious, or if you will, in the middle of verse 11, but the season is coming to an end, and this is normal. It is normal. They do not last, neither will riches. Wealth won't last. So we cannot count on wealth for our joy. These folks that James was writing to did not bring, uh, I'm sorry, the wealth and the riches did not bring joy to the rich man. For example, Jesus taught about in Luke chapter 18. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing. Sell all that thou hast and distribute to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that, he was very sorrowful. He said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? Don't let wealth keep you from the most important things. So don't fret if finances are tight. Rejoice. He tells us to. Rejoice in those times also. For our reward in heaven is eternal and God has promised to take care of you until then. Be joyful in your salvation. Be joyful in your Savior. Be joyful in your eternal family and whatever state you are in at the time. Matthew 6, verses 28 through 33. I'll read portions of that. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. 
They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Solomon was the richest man who has lived. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For your heavenly Father knoweth what that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So the third principle is this, found in verse 12. Those who endure testing because they love Christ will be rewarded in the future. Those who endure testing because they love Christ will be rewarded in the future. Though I've covered some of this already, I need to touch on a couple more things. Number one, temptations and testings as a Christian are part of the course of this world, this life. Jesus said to the disciples in John 16, 33, These things I have spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. That's where we find our peace, friend. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And we can say amen to that. Temptations and testings are allowed by God to refine us. As Tom read for us in 1 Corinthians 3. There was a refining fire there. I don't know if you noticed that as he read it. And some would be... uh, uh, Some would be refined through the process of the fire and others would be burnt up if you would. And if we allow the refining process in our lives, be assured God will reward you for it at the Bama seat or the judgment seat of Christ. He'll reward you. Our rewards received at that day will be for a greater capacity to serve him and love him throughout Eternity. Here's the fourth principle, and that is there are no grounds to blame God for temptations and trials and their results. And that's our own doing. There's no grounds to blame God for temptations and trials and their results. That is our own doing. In verses 13 through 15, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Though there is not time to really develop this all today, many people, even Christians, blame God for all sorts of things. They do. There's no grounds for that. James writes against that thought. Many people... Even many Christians are blaming God for this trial or that temptation. Here, James seems to anticipate such wild accusations and puts it to rest right away. He nips it in the bud, if you will, before it has the chance to leaf or bloom or seed, like knapweed has done. (laughs) 
when it goes to flower. James nips it before it goes to flower. Dear brother and sister, in Christ, the words translated tempted in these verses is pirazo and has to do with temptation to sin, enticed to do the ungodly. It is not possible for God to be involved in that. He does not. Literally, he is untemptable. It could not be more clear in verses 14 and 15, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it, is, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. It could not be more clear in those verses the progression in a person once they even entertain Pirazzo. People, even believers, entertain the idea of sin every day. But will you allow it to draw you away? Verse 14. Once you long for what is forbidden, that, dear friend, becomes a deadly cancer. And that is what James wrote about. Verse 15 is one of the most vivid expressions of this progression and its stages found in the Bible. Literally translated, desire having conceived continually gives birth to sin, and sin, when it reaches maturity, continually gives birth to death. We're not going to leave it there. And so when temptations come before us and trials, don't blame God for it. Choose not to let it become a desire. If you allow a temptation in your life to develop, don't be surprised if you have other problems too. Many times, the problems we face are our own doing. Not always, but many times they are. But if we avoid or flee from sin, then we also avoid some of the troubles in this world. Some wonder why they get hurt when they place themselves right in harm's way. Don't stand in the middle of sin's highway, dear friend, and be surprised when you get hit. Don't stand there. Let's close with verse 12, though. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation and trials. Of course, that's the meaning of that word. For when he is tried... He shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. He has given us the means, the capacity through his word, through the indwelling Holy Spirit for us to live triumphantly over these things. Last couple of weeks we looked at turning trials into triumphs and that is what God wants for you and for me and he promises, if you will, a carrot out there in his presence someday called the crown of life that I believe those who receive it will cast back at his feet to give him honor and glory. So we do have responsibilities in this life and we've seen examples of that in this passage. I trust that the Holy Spirit works and does a work in your life today as we've examined this passage of Scripture. Father God, you know the needs of everyone here. 
Maybe some are facing temptation. Maybe some are facing trials of their own doings or trials that are just part of living in this world. Oh, Father God, I ask you that they would not dwell on those, that they would forsake them and leave them and flee from them. But also, Father, that we would look to Christ, who is the source of our joy and peace. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that our Savior has overcome this world and that we have been promised not only eternal presence with him, but joint heirs with Christ, and that we may receive rewards for what we do in this life, in this body. Father God, I ask you that we would, through your strength, we know we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Through your strength, not our own, live every day in such a way that we may honor you more and more throughout eternity with those rewards that you promise to give. Father God, you deserve it. You are worthy of our worship. And Jesus Christ is worthy of our praise. Thank you again for who you are. And I ask that people right now in this room would be determining to go forward today and tomorrow to live for you who died for us. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. I'd like to ask you to take up your songbooks and stand as we sing. I stand amazed in the presence. Let's stand as we close and sing I stand amazed in the presence number 102. Of Jesus and Nazarene, and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Amen. For me it was in the garden He prayed not my will but thine He had no tears for his own grief but sweat drops of blood for mine. How marvelous, how wonderful and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my sin. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Verse 4, when with the ransomed in glory, 
at last shall see. Twill be my joy to the ages to sing of his love for me. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Have a good afternoon and hope to see everyone this evening. Valley Baptist Church has multiple services. Sunday school is at 9.45 a.m. The morning service is at 11 a.m. The evening service starts at 6 p.m. There's also a Wednesday night Bible study at 6 p.m. Additional men and women Bible studies are also conducted on a regular basis. Other activities include monthly potluck meals, monthly men's breakfasts, and much more. Valley Baptist Church is located at 64627 Highway 37, and that's in Eureka, Montana. Our phone number is 406-889-3134. Thank you for joining us for this audio sermon.